If you've been on the fence about registering for the Child Discipleship Forum, now's the time. You still have a chance to save on registration. Through August 25th, you'll save $50 per seat when you sign up. You can come as a solo act, or you can save a couple hundred bucks when you bring your whole ministry team. The CDF experience is something you'll want to talk about and process with other people who are fueled, like you, by forming strong faith in the kids in your community. Join us in Nashville September 21st and 22nd, or sign up to attend online. You'll hear from spirit-filled, Bible-minded speakers like Sam Luce and Rebecca Lyons. Chinway Williams is talking about childhood trauma and what it means for discipleship. Ed Stetzer will be speaking again at this year's forum. You really need to be there. So go to childdiscipleshipforum.com and register today so you don't miss out on our best summer pricing available. Well, this is the Child Discipleship Podcast, powered by Awana. My name is Ross Cochran. I am so glad you're here. I am joined by Pastor Robbie Gallaty. Pastor Robbie, welcome to the podcast, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Ross. I'm excited to be here. Now, you are the senior pastor of Long Hollow Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Now, uh, a lot of folks who are listening probably are somewhat aware of your story. Maybe they're a little bit aware of you, but for folks who aren't, can you, before we dive into, I got a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about. Can you let folks know a little bit about your ministry and all about what's going on at Long Hollow? Yeah, uh, it's a really long story, but I'll, I'll keep it short. I was uh, not always a pastor. I was raised in South Louisiana, a uh, very religious family, but we were Catholic. We went to the Catholic church, and uh, but went every week. So we, we went on uh, Sunday. If we missed Sunday, went to confession on Saturday. But I didn't have a, a, a picture of God that I do today. God was more of kind of this authoritative dictator out to get me every time I messed up. Um, so he was kind of this faraway guy. I, I went to, uh, an all boys Catholic high school. I got a scholarship to play basketball of all places, William Carey college. Uh, I didn't even know who William Carey was and yeah. uh, I didn't even know where it was as you probably <laughs> don't know either. Uh, but, uh, they offered me a scholarship Ross and I went and played little did I know I was going there to meet Jesus. I thought I was there for athletics, heard the gospel my second year there. Uh, I would repeat a prayer, but in a sense, reject the gospel because I went back to my old life and I mm. tell people, how do you discern if a salvation experience is a true born again experience? And what I say is, Jesus, let's take Jesus. The fruit of your life is going to be the indicator. And so the line I use is the fruit of one's life reveals the root of one's heart. Mm. I can't see your heart, but I can watch how you live. And you don't even have to tell me, by the way, what you believe. You just let me come live with you for a day or two, and I'll tell you what you believe by how you live, right? I mean, you could do the same for me. Well, I went back to the world, uh, started to do MMA fighting. I was uh, 290 pounds back then, 6'6", like I am now. But uh, I was training for the UFC, which didn't pay much, by the way, back then in the the (laughs) late 90s. I was a bouncer and a bartender at a club. I was coming home from work uh, November 22nd, 1999. 18-wheeler comes across two lanes of traffic, slams my car into the guardrail. I herniate two discs in my neck, two discs in my back, and I go to the doctor. And I've never taken drugs before. I was an athlete, a mm-hmm. great family, uh, non-Christian family, but great family. But uh, I just took the drugs every four to six hours for pain. And they sent me home with 60 Oxycontin 40s, 60 Soma, 60 Percocet, and 60 Vicodin. And if you're listening, you know the story. Yeah. Within three months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. I can't train anymore. I can't work. 
And uh, within three months, I have this insatiable desire, this addiction where I have to get high. And I would run through the 30-day prescription in two weeks. So I started selling drugs, uh, heroin, cocaine, GHB, Special K, marijuana. And I'm telling you that not to impress you if you're listening, but uh, really to just impress upon you how far the Lord has brought me from over the last 20 years. Uh, Times were good in the beginning, but you know, with any addiction or sin, it takes you further than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay. And it keeps you there longer than you ever want to stay. And uh, condensed version, uh, lost everything I owned, uh, lived without gas, electricity and water for three months. My addiction was too much and uh, robbed my own family for $15,000. They kicked me out, uh, basically lived without uh, the necessities. And uh, by God's grace, they let me back in. When I asked them, they took me to rehab for the first time. I went to rehab twice. I tell people because the first time I did it without Christ. And uh, I came back from the second rehab and literally, I didn't have a dad that was a pastor, didn't know anybody in the ministry. I literally was desperate. And here's what I thought. I might as well give Jesus a try and mm-hmm. surrender my life to him. I mean, what can I lose? And here's what I did. I took the little bit of faith, faith I had, and I put it in as much of Jesus as I knew, which wasn't a lot, but it was enough to be saved. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Ross, November 12, 2002, 20 years ago, uh, I had this radical Paul-like conversion where I was radically saved. The day I was saved, I was called into ministry. And you can imagine the conversation with dad on the sofa when I went and said, dad, I'm no longer on drugs and God's called me to preach. And he looked up Ross and he's thinking, what are you smoking, son? You know, I'm never, <laughs> hey, he didn't even have a category for that, right? right, right, right. But uh, I wandered for the next eight months. I didn't know how to read the Bible, didn't know how to pray, didn't know how to memorize scripture. And I'm at church one Sunday and here's where the discipleship uh, comes to a head in my life. Uh, a guy by the name of David Platt. Uh, he looked younger than me. He, he blonde haired seminary student. And uh, he came across church and he said, hey, would you be interested and meeting once a week, study the Bible, memorize scripture and pray. I said, David, I'd love to. He said, pray about it. I said, I already have. When do we meet? And I'm telling you, we met for the next two years, every week, twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, he encouraged me to go to seminary. He baptized me. He stood in my mm-hmm. wedding, took me on my first mission trip, taught me how to preach, taught me how to share the Bible. People always ask me, what was it like to be discipled by David Platt? And honestly, I I mean, did we talk about the finer tenets of soteriology and justification by faith and, you know, eschatology? Yeah, I'm sure we talked about all those things. But what I remember most, and this is a wonderful principle for this podcast, is discipleship is more caught than taught. We know that. And so here's how David operated. He emulated before me what he expected from me. Mm. And parents, this is so true when we invest in our our students, our kids, our, our, our family. They watch more how we live than what we say, and they will emulate by mimicking or modeling, which is why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't say, repeat after me as I repeat after Christ or learn theology. No, he says, live like I live, love like I live, teach like I teach. And so anyway, all that to say, I am the product of discipleship. And I realized that if David wouldn't have discipled me and others, I wouldn't be here today. And the question I'd ask you is, how different would your life be? If somebody invested in you, and the better question is, how different would the lives around you be if you got serious about making disciples? Well, we are off and running. Okay, so <laughs> sorry, yeah, I love pretty that, fired man. up about disciples. I would highly, highly encourage y'all to check out in the show notes wherever you're listening. If you don't know what show notes are, Google however you are hearing the sound of my voice right now and the word show notes, and they will help you out. 
uh, I will, will link to the full version of the story, uh, which is beautifully told. I want to start, though, with this idea of you were you were discipled by David Platt because so Awana has engaged in several research projects uh, throughout our history, but particularly over the past decade or so. And last year, we did this research project called Children's Ministry in a New Reality in partnership with the Barnard Group. And this conveying, just jumping off the page of the data, said that the presence of one, as we would call it around here, loving, caring adult in the life of a child makes all the difference. We just need one. And we often put that expectation on mom and dad. But what was clear is when it's not just mom and dad, when it's a coach, when it's a teacher, when it's an uncle, when it's a friend, the outcomes of that child's life are dramatically improved, not just in the spiritual things, but in the non-spiritual things as well. What is true for your story, what's true for my story as well, I was, I came to know the Lord in college as well, not from David Platt, um, the person who discipled me hasn't written nearly as many books as he has, um, but is that that relationship is what made the difference. And I'm curious for you, you know, you talked about this in your book, uh, Rediscovering Discipleship. You talked about the same moment of sort of how people can get uh, stuck in this idea of discipleship is this complicated thing. And what you unpack there and what we unpacked last year was the reason for this, a root cause of this is they were never discipled themselves. Yeah. So to ask you a big, uh, meaty question to dig right at that passion you just laid out, how do we go about discipleship if we were never discipled ourselves? Yeah. So the, the, here's what's interesting. When, when I speak at conferences or do training, I will normally ask the group this question. I'll say, how many people in here, I'll share my story, then I'll say, how many people in here hear my testimony and think that's a foreign idea, foreign practice to me. How many pastors, leaders have never, and if you're listening, you, you could play along. How many of you have never had someone disciple you? Now, I don't mean, well, Brother Bob, you know, he invested in me in the student ministry. I get that. No, I'm talking about intentionally yeah. walking together, transparent relationship, accountable questions, challenging you to live like Jesus. So who, who had that uh, experience in their life. And here's the, here's the average. And, and statistically, it's 70% did not have someone as a pastor oh, disciple them. Okay. And that's about what I get when I do the, 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 the question to the group. 70, 80% say, hey, I've never had that. Now, so we have a big dilemma here. So if that's the case and you say, well, you can't disciple someone if you've never been discipled, then we're in trouble because it takes us forever. I would say this line. It's very difficult to take someone on a journey you've never been on. It's not impossible, though, because obviously at the end of the day, if you've never been discipled, Jesus is our disciple maker. So Jesus, obviously, the Holy Spirit is discipling us. And I would say to you, don't ever discount the power of the word of God and the empowerment of the spirit of God to make disciples for the glory of God. I mean, that's God's called us to do that. And the disciples, you know, when Jesus left, could have used the same excuse. But they realized they were empowered by the Spirit. And so I would say you obviously may not have been discipled, but there are resources and tools, which is what Awana provides, which is what Replicate provides. So we, I tell people, we paid a lot of dumb tax over the last 15, 16 years in Replicate so that you don't have to. You know, I've used the three churches I've pastored. 
all varying sizes, varying, varying communities. First church, 65 people, South Louisiana. Second church, 800 in Chattanooga, roughly. And then Long Hollow is a larger church in, in the Nashville area. All different sizes, all different cultures, all different staff uh, cultures. And yet, disciple. here's a novel idea. Disciple making works on all of them. <laughs> because, you know, Jesus may have been onto something, you know? I mean, in fact, I tell people, the only thing Jesus has ever authorized us to do as Christians is to make disciples. Think about it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples. Any questions? Oh, you wow. find me another thing. He didn't authorize us to preach. He didn't authorize us. No, we have authority. I get it. But he didn't authorize us to plant churches. He didn't authorize the pastor to, to, to sure. raise up deacons. He said, go make disciples. And you'll <laughs> never be closer to Jesus than when you're doing what Jesus commanded us to do. And so I've always said, let's be committed to make Jesus's final words, the Great Commission, our first work. If you've heard about childdiscipleship.com, then you've heard it's chock full of resources for kids ministers, parents, anyone raising kids to be lifelong Christ followers. The site's almost a year old now, and like any other one-year-old, woo, has it grown. If you head to childdiscipleship.com today, you're going to find simple ways to weave faith into everyday summer activities. You're going to find questions and conversation starters to ask your kids after church to help continue the conversation around child discipleship. You're also going to find tools to walk kids through gender identity questions, a biblical guide for anxiety, and resources dedicated to answering the question, how do I share the gospel with kids? Resources and articles and podcast conversations are constantly being added to the site. So go ahead and bookmark it and make childdiscipleship.com your go-to for equipping yourself and your team to form lasting faith in kids. I missed this in your introduction. Replicate is a ministry that you started that is of what you just said, making the, the great commandment our first work. Now, what I'm fascinated about is you have this, you've made discipleship your life's work in the context of your churches, obviously with Replicate. I'm curious how that bleeds out to those around you. Because what yeah. we often hear within the context of Awana is, you know, man, I want to be more about discipleship. I want to do the stuff that you want they're doing, but I'm just really tired. I'm really busy. Or I can't get my senior pastor's attention, you know, when I'm talking to children's ministry leaders. And yet what I imagine is the context of churches like yours where the discipleship is just the water that you swim in, Right. Flawed church, no perfect church. I'm not trying to put the con your context on a pedestal, certainly. Is that it is much easier to embrace discipleship because the passion emulates everything that you do. How are you able to communicate to stay focused on the mission, the main things, and let some of those tasks and distractions fall by the wayside? Because at the end of the day, the snack cabinet's still got to get filled um, even though we got to make sure yeah. we're still focused on discipleship. Yeah, I would say we're still learning, obviously. I mean, we are 
I mean, you know how it is. I mean, it's like it's like an airplane in the sky that you're trying to work on in flight. So we're trying to keep this thing in the air and there's constant challenges. Here, here's what I would start as we lead into that. One of the things I've learned, Ross, we talked about this earlier offline before we yeah. started. COVID gave America, you ready for this? A national test on discipleship. That's what COVID did, okay? And what it did is it took away church from people, the building. And the question it was asking is, could we continue the mission of making disciples separate and apart from a geographical location? And here's what happened. We flunked across the board. We flunked the test in America. Here's why. It was great for week one and two, right? I mean, everybody's like, look, PJs, pajamas, and pancakes, and preaching, right? This is awesome. <laughs> everybody's taking Instagram pics, and you got all the kids on the coach. By week three, the kids are flipping and yelling, and you're yelling, and nobody's watching, and nobody's worshiping. And by the, the first month, the wheels have fallen off, and you don't even watch anymore. And right. you don't do devotions anymore. And here's what we found out was the people were too tethered to a program or a system instead of a mindset and the mantra of their life. And so here's what we realized. Strategy in the past is good, but strategy for a program attended or program attendee kind of mindset showed us that you can add discipleship to an already programized church and you're not going to get the disciples you want. And so what we need is we needed to create a, a whole robust system around disciplement. Now, here, here's the question. If you're a pastor leader, is discipleship or disciple making? And the words are, I mean, discipleship, I get is a state, but disciple making is an action. So, and people say you should use disciple making, regardless of whatever, semantic. Yeah. But the reality is. The child disciple making podcast becomes a bit of a, a mouthful. So we're, yeah, we're talking know, about yeah, marketing so at I'm that point. I'm fine with me. both. I mean, yeah, I mean, people <laughs> criticize, but, but you guys are talking about. Here's the point yeah. I, I want to make. Is discipleship a ministry in your church or is it the ministry of your church? Mm. And I would say Awana is, I mean, just the fact that you're discipling students or, or kids from, from birth until they go into to, to, to school, you know, elementary, middle, high school. That is a mindset shift that even if you have a program of Awanas, which is discipleship from to the core, and if you don't have a, a pathway from that, it's almost like you get all these kids excited. They memorize scripture. They quote verses. They know the word. They show. And then it's a hard stop when you get to student ministry, which is event and programize or event driven. Yeah. And, and so what I would say is if you're a pastor leader, you need to step back and get a holistic approach to a disciple making process, a disciple making mantra that's from start to finish, from birth to the grave to make disciples where it's not just an additional program. And then I would say too, the pastor has to be involved or it just fizzled out. It fizzles out. And, and I would say, you know, if, if the pastor, the pastor is, is the tide that raises all the ships at port in his church. Hmm. So the spiritual fervor of the pastor is kind of the litmus test for, for the spiritual fervor in the pew. And so, Pastor, if you're not making disciples personally, so me personally, I have four groups. It's probably too many, but I have my first group is my two boys at home, period. And I'll talk, I can talk about that if you want. It's my two boys, yeah. 12 and 14 at home. The second group uh, is a group of pastors I train uh, in Replicate in a huddle, or to Replicate huddles, we train pastors. And this, in the other two groups, one's a staff group that meets on Mondays. 
from 10.30 to 11.45. And another is a lay group of men that meets on Thursdays from 6 to 7.30. And I say all that to say, you have no authority and power in your in your congregation to say, you make disciples while I watch. Mm. We need to engage in the process if we expect people to participate in, in the practice. Whew. And what I appreciate about that, you know, one of the questions I had for you, and we could, I want to talk about this since you opened about this, but the context of your family, because you are someone who you live this out every day and then you got to bring this home and yeah. your context is different, but you are someone I'm curious, you know, you have to live this out. How does this go with your boys? Because. I know is I got young, I got younger kids than you. My oldest is seven uh, and my son is four or about to be. But one of the things that I think about all the time working at Awana is this sort of like, oh man, like I've read the books. I've hosted the podcast. I've talked to the people like I'm supposed to know. And you are going like, man, I run the ministries. I'm supposed to know. And people listening have a similar level of thought process. How are you managing that tension? with humans who weirdly enough don't act like robots like they don't actually uh, respond to the perfect teaching that you give them yeah and if those listening would want to know we don't even know what we're doing with our own (laughs) kids at time and let's be honest i feel like i fail yeah way more than i succeed even with my own kids and you got me and candy who are passionate about this i mean my wife the same way she's passionate about sight making and we look at each other like you it's like do we know what we're doing right? Like, are we winning at all? And I would just say for those listening, let me just speak this into your life. You're doing way better than you think you're doing. I promise. In fact, the fact that you're listening to this podcast speaks volumes that you even have a desire to get better at making disciples. I, I love what uh, James Finley, who was a contemporary of Thomas Merton uh, at the Gethsemane Abbey and uh, Monastery years ago, said this. He said, uh, a little sincerity goes a long way with God. I love that line. So the fact that you're even listening pleases the Lord, right? So I would say you're probably doing better than you think you are. Here's what we've decided. This is a big one for me. Our children spell love. T-I-M-E. You've heard this before. Time. Okay? You got to remember, your kids are not impressed with how big your company is. They could care less how many people listen to your platform, your podcast, or mine. They could care less how many books you're, they could care less what conferences you're speaking. They don't care about any of that. They care about if you care about them. And what I've learned is the, the key that I've learned with children, discipling children, is you have to create a space where they feel comfortable communicating with you. Now, they may not communicate, they go through stages, right? They go through the little stage where you're, they love dad. Then they go through dad's a hero and then they're too cool to hang with you. You know, I don't want to be seen with that and, you know, but then eventually they'll come back. Mm -hmm. They need to know, you ready for this? They need to know when their life falls apart and it will, because our life falls apart at times that I can go and trust mom or dad to talk to. So here's what I've done. I have put certain times on the count. We don't do family worship. We tried that. I I, two boys are... And like me growing up, there's no way they could sit through that. You know, I mean, we tried all that. We're going to memorize the Sermon on the Mount together. The wheels fell off. 
I tried discipleship three or four times with them and they're, you know, they're, they're punching each other, the smells at times. I mean, it's unbearable and the sounds I'm like, guys, we're, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. So here's what I realized. Here's what I realized that, uh, every Saturday morning we do something called Saturdads. I got two boys. You can probably do it with girls if you want, uh, but I'd call it Saturdads. And so every morning on Saturday, I'm normally here on Saturdays. I'll wake up and we go to a place of their choice. Now they're stuck on Waffle House, which I mean, who doesn't like an all-star special with, with, with waffles, right? Right. I just went to the doctor and he said, your blood pressure is high and you're 0.2 points away from diabetic. So I have to eat better, at, but they can still eat the chocolate chip. Ball. But anyway, we go there <laughs> and listen, it's a standing appointment mm-hmm. every Saturday. Now, do they want to go every week? One of them doesn't. Oh, no, it's, I, I, it's my off day, Dad, and I've earned today. I said, earn what? You're 12. You're 14. You didn't earn. What are you talking about? Earn. You don't even work. You need to tell You know, so I make them go. And I'll tell you something. They, it, one of them, he complains on the way out, out there, but he's thanking me on the way home. And listen, we talk about everything. Last weekend, it was Dragon Ball Z. They were trying to sure. teach me about Dragon Ball Z. They were trying to teach me about anime comics. One of them loves to draw pictures. We're talking about that. And then we got to talking about hell, Hades, and the afterlife. And if it's for that 10-minute season of time on the way there, and then, or we're talking about girls or relationship, and then I can't get any girl. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm developing a rhythm in the schedule to show them that they're important and it's no agenda. Hey. Before we get back to this episode, I need your help. You know, we want this podcast to serve you and your ministry in the best way possible. But to do that, I need to learn a little more about you. So wherever you're listening, you'll see a link for a survey. And if you answer those questions about yourself and your ministry, that will dramatically help the show. And to make it even more worthwhile, we'll randomly select a few folks who fill out the survey and thank them with an Amazon gift card. Full details and rules are in the show notes. So thank you for listening. And now let's get back to the conversation. Now, recently, I'll tell you something else we did. I said, hey, can you all start helping me with the sermon tomorrow? I'd love to get input from kids, you know, kids' perspective. Could y'all help dad with the sermon? And they love that now. So anyway, it doesn't have to be planned as far as like, we're going to go through books. It could be, maybe, maybe it could be, but I would say you, you put a specific time on the calendar and that's what we've been doing Saturday, Saturdays. On Fridays, we try to do family fun night, we call it, and we bring mom. So mom gets to come on Fridays when we're, when we're all in town and hanging out and they get to pick the dinner. And what we found out was this, they will talk to us more that you got to find something they love to do. Our kids love to eat. They like me. They love to eat. So you get them over food. It brings down the barriers. Now, our kids are 12 and 14. They can talk. But you have to find something they like to do that you can do with them to spend time with them. And that, for us, is the best discipleship. Yeah. Well, there's two things in that that stand out to me that I think, like you said, they're universally true. One is you've you've shown them that value in your schedule, right? The time. But also, you've created that rhythm and expectation that, just to highlight what you said earlier, that they know they can talk to you. If they are, are if they know you are listening to them about Dragon Ball Z, they will come to you when they have questions about their faith. They will come back to you because, and you want them to do that, dear listener, 
because otherwise they will go somewhere else and they have more options than they ever have before. Um, to land the plane here a little bit, one of the things that stands out to me about you as a communicator is you are able to communicate with biblical clarity, but also a level of honesty and vulnerability. And one of the best examples of that in the context of your church played out in 2021 um, with a series of baptisms, to put it, uh, to tease the story a little bit. I was wondering if you would mind telling the folks who are listening to the podcast uh, what happened. Yeah, uh, for the for the tribe we're talking to, you would appreciate this. I was on a podcast uh, right in the middle of the revival, and uh, the, the move of God was a genuine. To tell you the end, it was a genuine God sent revival that we weren't expecting. And I was praying for personal revival, God sent corporate revival. But the principle was he had to work on me before he could work through me, which is always how it works. But uh, we saw in a matter of eight months, almost 1,600 baptized. But the crazy thing, in the white hot season in the beginning, in 15 weeks, we saw over 1,000 people baptized. Mind-blowing just to think of what God did there. But the, the point I, I, I want to make is, so I was on a podcast right after that season of the white hot you know, the season of revival. And I was being interviewed by a guy named Kevin Ezell, who's the president of the North American Mission Board. And he stopped me. And Kevin knows me because Kevin was the interim pastor at Long Hollow before I'd gotten here. So we've been friends for a while. And he said, I got to stop you here. He said, you're talking about this revival and the spiritual awakening in your church. He said, what's fascinating to me is God decides to send the revival to the discipleship God. He said, I just think that's fascinating. This is not a guy like weeping and fasting and, and, and praying in, in, in sackcloth and ashes for years to send revival. Like you're making disciples and investing in people, growing them deep. You're not necessarily an, a revivalist evangelist guy. And I said, you know what? I don't want to play God. But could, and I never thought about this at the time. I said, could it be God wanted to see what we were doing? Because it took five years before the revival came of us behind the scenes you know what I'm saying? We're us doing the hard work of putting in a process and a practice for making disciples. Now, did we disciple every one of the 1600 that came through the doors? Probably not. But here's the thing. We tried. Yeah. And we had a process and system in place for five years that when people came through the door, we were going to do our best to try to disciple them. And so I used to say years ago, I used to say, if God sent a book of Acts, chapter two, revival to your church, and 3,000 people get saved tomorrow. Okay, let's just say it's Sunday. Let's just say we're going into Sunday. What, 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 would you have the infrastructure to disciple those 3,000 people? And I used to say, we don't, do you? Well, then God basically calls our bluff on this thing. He said, I'm not going to say 3,000, I'm going to say 1,600 and see what you do. But here's how the revival started, because you're probably saying, well, what led up to it? I'll just give you a quick story. I went into COVID, like a lot of people, burning out. Uh, I didn't know I was burning out, but I knew I was coming to the end of the rope. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. And uh, I had lost uh, a good friend that year, uh, Darren Patrick. Uh, I'd lost Darren Patrick uh, in May uh, of that year and then the, the year before. And then before that, in August, I lost another friend, uh, Jared Wilson. So two good friends took their own lives. And so I was pretty worn out and I decided to start sitting with the Lord in silence and solitude. I didn't know much about it. One of the spiritual disciplines, we all gloss over in the spiritual disciplines books, right? Like what does that ancient practice do with my 21st century life? 
but I was desperate. Right. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it. And I, and I had to go into the dark ages, learning a lot of stuff from monks and monasteries and priests and theologians. And I ate a lot of bones that I spit out to get a little bit of meat, but I was able to put a practice together of sitting in silence. And here's how I like, like in silence. Imagine this glass is empty and I go down to the river and I scoop up river water and I put it in this glass and leave it on the counter. You won't be able to see through the water right away because of the dirt and debris. But if you let it simmer and sit long enough, the sediment kind of settles to the bottom and you can see clearly through it coming close. That is your soul. Your soul has so many distractions with social media and news and input and information and distractions that you and I have the volume so loud in our life that even if God wanted to break through and speak to our hearts, we couldn't hear him. Why? Because he speaks in a whisper and a small, still voice. And honestly, I did not know how to bend my ear to the accent of the Holy Spirit, even as a pastor. And so I began to sit silence and solitude and nothing really, you know, I didn't see like consolation in the form of a Hebrew word. I used to sit on the porch at night, you know, I didn't hear a global megaphone from heaven do this, right? You know, none of that. But I remember a couple months in, I started lamenting to the Lord. I said, Lord, you've got to fix the problems in my church because I had problems with my staff. You've got to fix the deacon body because we've got issues there. You've got to fix the problems in our community. And while you're at it, fix the political and racial unrest in our country because we were going through a lot in 2020. And the the Holy Spirit just lovingly and gently spoke to me and said, um, Robbie, the problem is not your church. It's not your staff. It's not the deacons. It's not the country. The problem to revival coming to your church is you. You're the problem. And if you've ever gotten that gut level honest with the Lord, it's pretty painful, you know, because I push back. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't have any consistent, persistent sin. What do you mean? Uh, but, but the reality is the Holy Spirit's able to pull back the layers right below the surface of the low level frequency of sin in our life. And so uh, he began to show me, Robbie, you are way too prideful. Hmm. You're a master of taking credit for things that is supposed to be for me. The line between the platform of Robbie and the cause of Christ is so blurred, you don't even know the difference. You're so arrogant, right? You know how to, you know how to fish in the pond of approval of other people. And you can imagine how painful this is. And the one that got me, honestly, the, the most was, you are so jealous. The Lord began to show me, you're so jealous, Robbie. And I was like, jealous of what? I got a, you know, what are you jealous of? A great church. You got a great wife, great ministry. But I would be jealous, Ross, if the church down the street baptized more than we did. I wouldn't say it publicly, but I think it internally. I'd be, ba- I'd be jealous if I'd see on Twitter somebody had more salvations. Than I-, I would be jealous if a guy wrote an article and it got more traction. I'd be jealous if someone made a post and it got more life. And the Lord began to speak to me, Robbie, if you can't pray for the church down the street to be blessed in spite of Long Hollow, I'll never bless Long Hollow. Hmm. Let me remind you, big boy, that's how he talks to me. This is not your kingdom. This is my kingdom. Amen. And if you can't be on the team with other pastors, then I'm not going to bless you because I can't trust you. And so this long 10-month journey of just peeling back pride and arrogance uh, leading up to December 20th, 2020. And you know the story. I mean, I heard on the 15th, two words, long story, spontaneous baptism. I'd never done that before. I was obedient on the 20th. The Lord showed me through a series of events that 100 people were going to come forward. I wrote it in my journal shared a video with my staff on a Friday. They thought I was crazy. It was the last day of meeting in person. We were leading the country in COVID cases. We told people to stay home if you're sick. If you come wear a mask, we made everybody mad. 
You know how that worked. Everybody got mad. We had the lowest attended Sunday in the history of me being here in five years. And we saw 100 people baptized. It blew 99 baptized that day. Blew my mind. I thought it was done, but it was the beginning of a year-long season of revival. And here's the two lessons I learned. I'll leave you with this. The first one is this. Every great movement of God begins by not moving. You study revival history. It's a group of people or a person who will say, and maybe that's you, brother. Maybe that's you, mom. I'm not going to move God until you bless my church. I'm not going to move until you bless my family. I'm not going to leave this spot until you bless my kids, until you bless my pastor, until you bless my husband. And so I was desperate for a move of God uh, at that point. And the second thing is this. I had to reintroduce myself to the person of the Holy Spirit. Because as a Southern Baptist pastor for years, you know, there, there's two sides of the pendulum. There's the, we don't want to be like the charismaniacs, we'd say, you know, they, they're crazy. But then the flip side is you don't want to be like the frozen chosen legalists who quench the spirit. And both of those are wrong. You should never say. See, I had to learn a middle ground. And I'll tell you a couple of things I learned about the Holy Spirit. Number one is he's not weird. Number two, as I realized, I knew more about Jesus, who was here 33 years, than the Holy Spirit, who's been on the earth in dwelling believers for 2,000 years. Amen. Number three, and I'll leave you, this is a big one. The Holy Spirit is a way better leader, preacher, teacher, and, and, and pastor than any of us ever will be. When he's leading, I'm just telling you, it just goes so much better. And the final one that really got me, Jesus said his role will be counselor. You're going to love this, counselor. And so let me ask you, brother or sister, when was the last time you consulted with the Holy Spirit alone? When was the last time you got a word from God for your family, for your children, for your ch I'm not talking about a word from a pastor. I'm not talking about a word on TikTok. I'm not talking about an Instagram. I'm talking about a fresh word from God. Amen. And so Amen. you don't have to do spontaneous baptism like we did. Because people say, I don't know if I agree with spontaneous baptism. You may not. That's between you and God. But you better get a word from God and hear from God and then be obedient to it. And so those are the two big things I learned through the revival. What a wonderful place to leave it. Pastor Robbie, thank you so much for your time, for your encouragement. We will see you at the Child Discipleship Forum in September. Everybody, we'll talk to you next week. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard All Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.